I have cancer, I have to get it out and I have to get rid of it. I had to have all these tests, such go to doctors, I had to have a port put into my arm, I had to start chemo within a week. And there was one moment where I, I was just in the shower on my own. All of a sudden, I kind of let go of what I'd been holding on to and I literally, my body, I started shaking, I fell to the ground, I just bawled my eyes out. In between when you woke up this morning and when you go to sleep tonight, 55 Australian women will be told they have breast cancer. The same will happen tomorrow and the next day too, making breast cancer the most common cancer affecting Australian women right now. In fact, in 2020, it's estimated that close to 20,000 new cases of breast cancer will be diagnosed across Australia. What you might not know is that only 5 to 10% of breast cancers are hereditary, which means over 90% have no genetic link at all. In this episode, we chat to Kath Elliott, a successful businesswoman and mother of three boys who worked in the fast-paced world of PR, whose life was suddenly stripped bare of the superfluous when one ordinary morning in August 2019, at age 46, she discovered a breast lump while getting dressed to race out the door to work. What follows is her story of surrender, survival, and ultimately acceptance to find a way back into herself. But you don't have to have been personally touched by cancer or know a loved one that has to reap the deep insights and life lessons shared in this chat about living in your body, not just your head. What a sliding door moment of cancer diagnosis can catalyze in your life and how looking death in the eye can make you feel more alive than you ever have. Here's Kath. Three hundred and fifty-nine days ago today, Kath, you were getting dressed for work, probably rushing, multitasking, and with your mind on a thousand things. When you found a lump, take us back to that day. Yeah, it's interesting. As I'm coming up towards the the twelve-month anniversary, I've been thinking a lot back back to that day and what that felt like, and what an absolute life-changing moment that was, and the feelings that actually took over my body at that point in time and I keep going back and thinking what happened I actually felt like I had a bit of a download I was really busy and I was running around I'd been at the gym I was running late for work and I just got this new kind of um, full-length mirror in our bedroom and I'd sort of run out and I just had my undies on and I just thought oh, I'm gonna have a look at myself I hadn't done that for a long time and I had a look and I thought it's really strange. My right breast looks a bit, something looks a bit unusual. And I looked down and I just saw, yeah, what looked like dimpled skin and a lump. And I put my hand on there and and went, holy shit. And I could just feel my whole body just felt like, yeah, it, I, I started shaking and I could just, I knew instinctually at that minute something was incredibly wrong and I yelled down to my husband and he I think he was shocked he's like what's going on what are you screaming for he ran up and I got him to feel and he just went yeah that that's a that's a pretty big lump and so from that point forward I called my GP who I had a really good relationship with straight away um and you know as as with all things I actually had a had a, a big kind of shoot on for clients that day that I still attended. I went to the GP 
um, she did a check on me, said, yep, we need to get you to uh, go and have further testing, which I then had the next day and went into the Melbourne Breast Unit to have, um, yeah, a whole horde of scans the next day. What an extraordinary experience. And you tell the story as if it was yesterday, not a year ago. It's obviously still... Very fresh and very real for you, Kath. I've heard you say that you made a prompt decision to accept your diagnosis and that you made the choice to see it as an experience, as an opportunity to heal yourself physically, emotionally and mentally. How did you get to that point? Yes. Look, I I didn't get to that point straight away. I guess what happened in those first couple of weeks was I felt like I was kind of, I felt like my life, I'd been thrown off the treadmill, the treadmill of kind of the normal life that I'd been leading and all of a sudden I'd been thrown onto this island and I felt kind of on my own and I thought, wow, what what is going on here? It was like that sort of sliding doors moment. And I guess in the depths of those two weeks, I had a couple of, I, I guess, one really pivotal moment where, you know, I was so busy because I had to have all these tests, I had to go to doctors, I had to have a port put into my arm, I had to start chemo within a week. Everything was just so quick. Um, and there was one moment where I, I was just in the shower on my own and all of a sudden I kind of let go of what I'd been holding on to and I literally, my body, I started shaking, I fell to the ground and I just bawled my eyes out for about, I think, 30 minutes. And in that moment, in those moments, I just started thinking to myself, this uh, this is something that I really want to learn from, not just physically. It wasn't about I have cancer, I have to get it out and I have to get rid of it. it, it for me... I thought this is something that I want to learn from emotionally and spiritually as well and there's obviously also a physical aspect to it. So in the in the shower in that moment, I, I held on to my right breast where the lump was. You know, it's quite a big lump, six centimetres. And I actually started talking to it, gave it love and... I apologised because I felt that I hadn't been in my body. I felt like in a way over, I guess, the last few years, I've been a lot in my head and not so much in my body. So it gave me this kind of moment where I came back into my body and then I felt a huge amount of acceptance for what was going on. And also I, I was a strong, I had this strong belief that it was also about the energy that I put out as well as the energy that was going to come back to me, that was going to be, I guess, a huge step in my in my healing and how the experience was going to be for me. Mm. Kath, amazing. I think any, any woman listening, it's hard not to hear that and put yourself in your shoes. It's incredible. I suppose the depth of thinking and um, spiritualism and, and thinking about energy that you that you brought into that moment and, and obviously since in the way that you've dealt with um, with your challenges. 
You've said that after your diagnosis, like in those first couple of weeks, you also were sort of catalyzed into wanting to go back into your life to examine and understand, well, what was the energy you were bringing to it? And you went into your life archives, your school diaries, your first loves, your unsent letters. What, what were you searching for in those weeks? It was really interesting. All of a sudden, I just had this, um, I guess, desire to really find meaning in my life. I'd had... I don't know whether it's a spiritual experience, but one night I actually really, I mean, you're facing mortality with a, with a cancer diagnosis. You don't really know exactly what's going to happen. Um, the, the cancer that I had was fairly aggressive, uh, the diagnosis that I was given. It was still what they call locally advanced. It hadn't spread. But for me, I, I, I didn't, you know, have any kind of real clarity on what was, what was going to happen. And, the night that I had this, I guess this, this dream, um, I I felt I felt death. I, I looked death in the eye. She was a woman, and she came to me, and she was yeah. It was um, a really it was a really life changing experience. That I, there was so much fear for me in the experience, but there was also an acceptance once I actually felt felt her and looked her in the eye and. I had this realization then that, and I guess I, I look at it now as it was living, and how living is is such a privilege. And sometimes we really take what living is for granted, and what all those experiences in our life are. And once I had that that feeling and that connection and that want to live and to make sense of my life and to hope that I I meant something to others as well as them meaning something to me I wanted to go back into into different aspects of my life and that included going back into you know I've kept all my old school diaries so looking through all of those then reconnecting with you know some old boyfriends so you know I wrote a couple of letters to some old boyfriends in it who uh, you know I'd had relationships with, uh, just and it wasn't really so much about whether or not I got a response, but it was more for me about um, there was obviously some healing that I still needed to do, uh, and it was also about acknowledging and saying you were actually really special to me at that time in my life, and I wanted I wanted to communicate that, and or didn't I didn't feel that I'd been able to do that, and even going through all the I, I keep a lot of newspaper clippings of. Uh, you know, concerts I'd been to, uh, uh, football games that I had loved when I was, uh, you know, a child from a big AFL supporter. So Carlton's the team I follow. So I had all these clips from going to the grand final in 1981 and 1982. And just all of those things just, they started to stir up so much within me. And um, it also gave me an opportunity to start having conversations with those around me that potentially I may not have had uh, about things that, you know, things I wanted to talk to them about and how much they meant to me. And um, that for me was a really, I guess, a really profound experience in terms of uh, living more open-heartedly and vulnerably. And I, I think I'd, I think previously I'd thought that I'd like to 
to be like that, but I didn't really know what that was. Um, and so that for me is, I guess, one of the greatest lessons out of, out of the experience being, uh, for me, being able to be more, a lot more open hearted and really connected into myself. I opened up a real channel of, of love, of deep love for myself, which I don't think I had available before. So I actually, even every day now, I tap into that and I feel so, so connected to it, which has been a really beautiful experience for me. Do you think that we can arrive at this place that you're describing so eloquently and so emotionally, and it's very profound, if we haven't faced death in the eye? I don't know. I, that question has gone over and over in my head so many times. I think we can get some idea of it, but I, I really don't know. I, I think sometimes it doesn't have to be maybe even looking death in the eye, but even you know there are other traumatic experiences that can happen in our lives, and I think it, it is a choice. I mean, there are many people who do have traumatic experiences in their life and it, it is a choice as to kind of how you, I guess, interpret them and make sense of them in your own world. But I think definitely I felt that you can really learn from other people's stories and their experiences even if you haven't been through them yourself, which is why I'm, you know, I've been so keen to talk about it sounds like there was sort of a shift point for you with the person that you left behind or before diagnosis and the person that you sought to become. This is kind of a big question, but what were the barriers, do you think, for you to being truly seen and, and loving, having that channel of deep love for yourself um, before your diagnosis? What was stopping that? Yeah, I think, look, it's a complex question and I'm, I'm still actually really trying to process what what that is and who who that is, but I, I feel like there was um, an element of letting go and surrender that came from my diagnosis and, and cancer and and all of the spiritual and emotional work that I did after that. So there was this sense there was the person before was was always trying to have control over situations and even the way that I lived my life, there was like this little voice in my head that was constantly kind of telling me that I needed to, you know, exercise five times a week and get up at five in the morning. And there, there was, you know, um, and so that, that voice had been a constant in my life. And I feel like I let, I, I've absolutely really softened that part of my, of my being because I needed to let go of control, I actually had to surrender because when I was given the cancer diagnosis, I, I couldn't control that. There were things I could could control, but that was more done in a, a way of I can control my approach to treatment and to healing and to how I communicate with people. Um, and yeah, so I think. For me, that, yeah. Help us understand, you've mentioned feeling alone and loneliness a couple of times. What that means to you in this journey? 
to receive a diagnosis and when you actually hear those words for the first time, you have cancer. I guess I, as I've already explained, I sort of intrinsically knew and felt that I had cancer even before I got the results of the scans and the biopsy. And um, But even to have those words given to you, you do feel very on your own. Even though my husband was in the waiting room with me and he obviously knew, this sense of kind of, uh, uh, this is about me, this is about my life, this is my body, this is my my experience, I'm going to have to really go into myself to to deal with this. And I guess the other thing was that I, I didn't really know anyone who'd been through breast cancer. So all of my really, I guess, super close friends hadn't, hadn't had an experience of breast cancer. So I didn't have necessarily have someone who I could confide in who would understand what I was going through. But look, I was really lucky in those first two weeks that you know I was put on to a couple of of people who I had some long conversations with that really, I guess again that really turned around my my feelings um, of being of feeling alone because. They shared with me their experience and then I took so much from their stories and what they told me that it made me feel a lot more, I guess, positive about, mm. um, you know, what what I was going to do and how I was going to do it. How did you find ways to communicate both your diagnosis but also what your needs were to your family and, and friends and children? Yeah, gosh, this was... This was a really tough one for me. Um, the, the the pain I felt knowing that I was going to cause distress to those that I love and care about was really hard, and I, I really grappled. I grappled with that. Um, you know, having to make a phone call to my parents was really difficult, and. Um, I get, you know, even now I can feel myself choking up because it was really an emotional thing to have to do. Both my parents are in their 70s and they're really fit and well, but I even just thought, you know, for them to receive the information that their daughter has breast cancer is really going to be quite, you know, harrowing for them. But the other thing I was really conscious of was I didn't want people to, um, I guess, project their their fear and uh, grief onto me straight away. So I did call my parents first and had the conversation, but with a few of my other really close friends, I, I carefully crafted a text message to them that I had control of, of, of the messaging, how I was feeling, what my approach was, that then said, I would really like you to digest how you're feeling and your reaction and I understand it's a shock and then call me. I, I felt like I to deal with people's kind of, oh, my God, ah, all that sort of stuff. I, I didn't want to take that on and I, I feel like that was a really good thing for me because I'd also said in that message, I'm positive, I'm I've got my treatment schedule planned. This is this is how I want to approach it. And if you are feeling not in a good place, please don't call me and and offload that. Find somewhere else. 
to do that. What are some ways then if we think about people who are trying to support people um, who, are, who are going through cancer treatment, what are some ways that friends and family um, can help uh, the person? What, what are some sort of practical uh, pieces of advice you can give? Yeah, look, I think for everyone it is quite different. Look, I, what I noticed, it, it, it's such an interesting kind of social experiment when you have a shock diagnosis and your view is kind of a healthy person and all of a sudden you, you have this diagnosis and all of a sudden people kind of place you on this, oh, she's so sick and that kind of thing. So I, I found that found that really a tricky part of the narrative that I also wanted to change. I didn't want to be referred to as sick either. I wanted to be referred to as having breast cancer. I didn't feel sick. Um, and so I, I told people that. I said, I don't want you to use that word if that's possible. Um, and the other thing that I, I found um, really, I guess, people find it difficult to address these issues. So all of a sudden, you're going out into public and people are looking at you and not sure whether or not they should approach you, and uh, which, I, which I understand. But for me, it was so important to be acknowledged and it didn't matter whether it was through a text message or a voicemail or just an acknowledgement of what I was going through was, was, really, uh, was really great. It was difficult if people couldn't or didn't say something to you. And I didn't think it was necessarily always up to me to do that because I was having to have those conversations every day, day after day. Beautiful, you know, some of the beautiful things that that people did, you know, they sent gorgeous, I got some beautiful, you know, pot plants. I got some beautiful um, books with gorgeous quotes in them, sent to me, yeah, lots of books, you know, some food and snacks for the kids, which was really nice. I, I didn't want a meal train or anything because that just wasn't what suited me. But, um, you know, the other thing that was really I, I focused a lot on was, was my diet over the time. So, I, you know, I got some beautiful vouchers for, to um, organic food and that kind of thing. So those were the things that were important to me. But I think what I would say messaging is you can't, you can't fix anything for the person that's going through the experience. It's really just about being present with them and acknowledging the, the experience and just being there with, with love and kindness. And it's not, um, it's not about having to yeah, change anything really. So I, um, I found that the friends to me that were, I guess, most, um, most valuable were the ones who were just prepared to be there and just contact me and um, remind me how much I meant to them and how much they loved me. And that 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 was the greatest gift that I got out of the experience was the absolute, just I guess, unconditional love that I felt from people in my life. That sometimes that love was all, always there, but I I've felt that I was able to to really I guess receive it so this you know I, I opened up to receive it rather than knowing it was there and not sort of yeah and and now even now I, I can feel that you know really around me it has changed relationships in my life you know with my parents with my brothers with my husband with my kids with my closest 
ex-girlfriends. It, it really has been a, like a ripple effect um, for, for all of us. And my girlfriends often say, wow, you know, that's just incredible what has happened in the 12 months, even in our relationships with our girlfriends. It's yeah, been, been a really beautiful thing. Kathy, you've talked a bit about diet and how important that was to you, but I also understand that you made a choice not to drink alcohol actually before your diagnosis and then you've continued to choose sobriety over even light levels or moderate drinking. Tell us about that. Yeah, so yeah, part of, um, I guess, the healing experience for me, but was looking at my relationship with alcohol. And I guess two months before I was diagnosed, I decided to uh, participate in Dry July, but also look more intensely at my drinking behaviour. And it, it was interesting, this, this was a build-up over many years. I often had a lot, of, a lot of months where I wouldn't drink or I wouldn't drink during the week, but I had a binge drinking problem um, and it was one of those things that had started back in my life when I was, you know, 14, 15, I guess. It was very normalised in um, Australian culture when I was growing up. I had quite a high tolerance to alcohol as a girl and it was one of those things that was, you know, really kind of revered by the boys that I hung around with. But it was also something in the back of my mind that, constantly plagued me you know it was just it was like a I, I call it you know I have these you know pockets of shame and it was one of those things that I put into the pocket was my binge drinking and so it was I'd really started to do deep dive look at it over the two years prior to being diagnosed and I stopped drinking in the July and just felt this incredible freedom and space, and I thought, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna drink in August either. I'm just gonna keep making a decision each day or each month, and you know, and then I guess I, I was diagnosed, um, and I really attribute, and I think what I realised going through breast cancer was it was the first time that I, I was going through a huge challenge in my life without using alcohol as a as a, a numbing or, or whatever it was. So I was actually then having to experience all of the emotions that were coming up, but they actually were coming up, like all this stuff was coming up. And I think a lot of that was to do with the fact that I'd taken alcohol completely out of my life and that I'd freed up space for feeling to start actually really coming into my mind and so I did then I started doing quite a lot of I guess energy healing on emotions and I saw a kinesiologist and went down that path um, and that for me was felt really freeing and funnily enough I have I, I really have not felt like felt like a drink since but I've also consciously made a decision that 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 was you know it was a really unhealthy lifestyle choice that I had made for a long period of time, and that even with um you know with breast cancer, some of the research that I'd done shows that you know, alcohol, um you know the links to breast cancer and alcohol in twenty percent of cases alcohol can be linked. So I, I made a decision as well for my health that it, it wasn't something that I wanted to continue and um, yeah I don't I don't miss it at all 
Um, it, it hasn't been something I've really, but you know, it has also caused some, I guess, you know, my husband and I used to drink a bit together. So it's, we've had to reframe and reset our relationship in, in many ways. And, you know, interestingly, in the last two months, he has stopped drinking himself. Not, I, it wasn't something I asked him to do, but, and it's just incredible the space. And the difference in dynamic in our relationship now that we're both not drinking, it's been a very, it, it, again, it's been an amazing kind of um, experience as to the emotions that have come up in our own, in our own relationship and, and the growth as well. And getting stuck out, unstuck out of some dysfunctional cycles that we'd been in for a while. So you've officially been declared as cancer-free um, as of earlier this year and you've completed, yep. um, you know, holistic and medical treatments, 16 rounds of chemo, is that right? Mm. Lumpectomy, yeah. yep. radiation therapy. How many rounds have you had? So radiation I have, I think, four weeks, which is every day, five days a week, so 20 rounds of radiation. Yeah, so the chemo came came first, so that was sort of five months. Then I had a month break. Then I had surgery. Then after surgery, I had radiation. And I'm currently still in treatment with the type of breast cancer that I have. Um, there's a targeted therapy called Herceptin that I'm on for 12 months, which will finish in November. So I go into the airport every three weeks and have that, which, yeah. So it's, it's a long, you know, it, it'll end up being quite a long process in terms of even the treatment. And look, everyone's treatment time in breast cancer is is different depending on kind of the type and stage of breast cancer that, that you have. Um, yeah, so I am really, I do, I do think it will be quite symbolic the day that I have, I've got a port in my arm, which is where I have all my treatments um, put through, and that will come out um, before the end of the year. So I feel like that symbolically will be a pretty amazing day when that comes out. That will be the end of, of active treatment for me. You've also said, Kath, that clearly no one chooses a cancer diagnosis, but that you wouldn't exchange yours. What do you think is the, the biggest human lesson that you've learned about breast cancer and the journey you've been on? Yeah, I guess the biggest human lesson that I've learnt is I guess life is and living is an absolute is really an absolute privilege and I guess I didn't really think about that much until I'd been through um, through this diagnosis and, and, and treatment and, and illness and also that what is really meaningful in in life for me was actually connecting, you know, when I say wholeheartedly with people, I mean really like peeling back the layers and actually having, you know, really deep, deeper conversations about what what is in our what is in our hearts, what is what is going on, and so I've had so I've I've been really lucky to be able to have had those conversations with people and that then made me realise that that is what is important to me in my life and I think if I look back to two, three, four, five years ago, I was worried about, you know, when whether we could afford to do 
another, you know, a, a big renovation on our house and when we were going to – all of those things don't mean anything to me anymore. Uh, it, it, it changed changed my perspective. And I guess the other thing that that's, re- that's really come, uh, I guess, each day now, I feel so much more present in, in life. Life is slower for me. And with the slower pace, I feel like there's a lot more magic that just comes sprinkling down and that comes through just very ordinary, mundane moments. So even now when I have a have a beautiful warm shower and I can wash my hair, every time I'm washing my hair, I feel so grateful because when I had cancer, I, washing my hair was just a really awful, horrible thing to do and I just couldn't stand it and so now when I do it I feel very grateful for that so there's all these all of these sort of moments now that I look at and they are my little you know my little pocket my little um gems that I pull out each day and that that's I live my day differently now than I did beforehand um and I guess the other thing that's really come into my my mind is, you know, I want living with with purpose as well. And what is that? And what will that look like for me moving forward? And um, yeah, I, you know, I'm working on a few a few things, but yeah, that that what is it, the experience that I've been through has shaped and moulded all of that. So that actually feels incredibly exciting too. So much of what you've shared is universal, which is what this pod's about, um, without the cancer diagnosis. The busyness, the hurriedness, the not listening to ourselves, oh, life being a privilege, feeling alone and drinking, binge drinking yep. and disconnecting through alcohol. Yep, all of that. I was walking with a friend yesterday morning and, I don't know, just talking about stuff, life, and we we use this phrase all the time or amongst girlfriends, you know, oh, you know, I'm stuck in my head, you know, I'm, I'm living in my head. And a lot of the time, like you sound like, Kathy, you've, you've moved into your body, you're living inside yourself. But so many of us, and I'm absolutely the, you know, shocker for this, just live in my head. It's like my body's just this kind oh, of afterthought. Completely, completely. And I am... Um and that uh, that's I'm I'm committed I've committed I'm doing a lot of embodiment work now so I'm actually which is coming back into also sexuality and a whole lot of stuff getting back into my body and we're like what is that what is you know I think we forget that there's so much there's so much kind of power and intuition in our bodies that we just leave behind and I I I came back into my body because I'd been out of it and then I re- so I actually also have a new appreciation for it as well, even after what it went through with chemo and, oh, my God, you know, it, it stood so strong for me and it looked after me and it, it's been really amazing. Um, and, I, I, yeah, and I look at my body in a different way now. And, look, initially I lost a lot of weight when I was going through chemo and I've now put that weight back on again, which in the past I would have been like, oh, God. But I'm so happy because my body, you know, I'm healthy again and feeling, you know, really vital and whatever. And now I just, yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful for what my body was able to do for me during that time as well. 
So I, I always always have to keep reminding myself to go back there and not start. You know, it's really hard because we're often. Well, you're right. We are often in our heads with, you know, a whole everything with most stuff in life in the way that we have all led our lives. Um, and so that's why even slowing down helps helps you come back into your body. No, you, you're a natural storyteller and it's real. I, I feel, I mean, I, I hear a lot of stories. I feel genuinely not just moved but actually reflective and inspired. There's a call to action there and I'm I'm conscious in in myself as I was listening to you, how do I not hear this and be moved by it now and then go back? To who I was before I heard it. Oh wow, that that makes me feel really emotional. But thank you. Mm. <laughs> that that yeah, that's really yeah beautiful feedback because I, you know, it, it, if you, when you feel touched by something, it, it I, I hope that um yeah, I hope that you can look at your life slightly differently mm. and appreciate it in a different way because it, it's super important yeah. because you know you only get one chance in this lifetime. That, you know, I strongly believe we have others, but this one, and um, you know, there's always we've always got a choice as to, you know, what, how we how we want to live it, and that's what I've reminded myself. You don't you don't have to get stuck in the same old stuff. There's always choices. Kath, thank you so much for sharing your story today and your honesty in the pain and discomfort that you've experienced in the last 12 months is, um, there's so many lessons uh, for us all to hear in that. We like to end all our chats with asking all of our guests a pretty simple question. We know that life is messy and you know that more than most. In the context of that messiness, who do you think is doing human really well? Mm. Oh, this is a great question. And look, I think from my perspective, I am really, I really love listening to people who kind of tell their stories, warts and all, and they're prepared to kind of um, share more deeply. So I guess there's probably, I'm reading, a, well, I've just finished reading a book at the moment, um, Untamed by Glennon Doyle. So she's one person who I think does does life really well. Um, I think she uh, is vulnerable and I think she has also been incredibly courageous in the decisions that she's made in her life. And she's also been through quite a lot of trauma and pain. And so she's one person I think who does life really well. And, I, and I'd also like to mention a male as well. Um, and I, I also really think um, I, I listened to Osha Ginsberg, um, one of the podcasts he does, and I think as a man, I, I, I feel like he is quite vulnerable and really good at sharing what goes on emotionally, and I think that's really important. So I think that um, for a male, that's wonderful that he's there as a role model, and I really enjoy listening to his perspective too. Yeah, beautiful reflections. Glennon Doyle's had quite a bit of coverage on Human Cogs podcast in um, both our line of questioning but also Who Does Human Well? And it's great to have Osha join join the family because I too have listened to some of his conversations in his podcast and I think for someone who's so in the public eye and in the space of reality TV, which kind of seems superficial at 
at best. He is doing a great job of traversing both the really meaningful and also the light-hearted entertainment and saying he doesn't need to be boxed in either camp. So thanks for bringing him to our attention here and Kath, thank you, as Mad said. I think there's a certain level of I feel it in the room with Mads and I, a certain level of reflection and emotionality and I can hear us and our cogs <laughs> taking stock of what you've shared with us today and I know that that's landed pretty loudly with quite impact, a lot of impact for, for me and Mads today and I know it will for our listeners as well. So thank you again for joining us on Human Cogs. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's um, yeah, it's a real privilege to have been given the opportunity to share my story. I know that from my perspective, when I've had the privilege to hear other people's stories, I, I feel like it, it, it's something that is, is a real gift and it's something that I have learned a lot from in life. And I hope people continue to share their stories. And I'm, you know, I'm really glad that both of you are bringing these human stories out and sharing them with people. So thank you very much. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Human Cogs. We know that being human is pretty messy for the best of us and we really hope these conversations challenge what you think you know about yourself and maybe some others in your orbit. And you know, Mads, as a psychologist, I know I'm having a good day at work when people say to me, Sabina, I've never thought about it that way before. That's what we hope your experience will be listening to Human Cogs. So if you want to find out more about other episodes or about this episode, jump on our website at humancogs.com. 